How's it going, everyone? This is Jason Navarro. You're listening to Tongues Out Podcast, and let's just jump right into today's subject. <laughs> um, I want to talk about vaccines, and I want to talk about the level of insanity that uh, people have right now when it comes to, like, literally, ugh, every time I talk to people about this, they're just like, yeah, you don't understand, though, this technology is so new, and I'm like, it's not really that new. I mean, the the it's new to the general consumer, but in people that study epidemiology and study um, virology and everything of that nature, they've been accustomed to this technology since the late 80s. But anyways, um, first, I, I just want to address the um, Johnson & Johnson and AstraZeneca vaccines are actually... Not mRNA vaccines. They are something that's called a modified virus distributor or something like that. They use essentially what they do is they take a weakened virus, embed it with the genetic code of of COVID nineteen, uh, the code that allows your allows it to t- trick your cells into producing the protein spikes that COVID the COVID virus uses to essentially hack your cells to infect them. It's um, they use a weakened virus to kind of go into your body and have your body's immune system kind of attack it. But in the process of it being in your body, it it infects some of your cells or sorry, effect is such a strong word. Essentially. Yeah. Just whatever people get over it. It infects your cells and instead of uh, infecting your cells and, and creating more copies of itself, it just creates, uh, it tricks your cells into just creating more protein spikes. And those protein spikes by themselves literally do absolutely nothing um, except for just flood your blood system uh, with nothing but protein. And then your immune system activates because it doesn't recognize this body and attacks it. And by attacking it, it learns a part of this protein spike and that's important because that's all your immune system really needs to learn um, when it is trying to teach itself how to detect a, um, a virus in the future because when your innate immune system is going around and your innate immune system is essentially like your immune system that is constantly active in your body but it's not really active it's just floating around not doing anything it doesn't have any programming or anything of that nature it just knows like, hey, this thing is uh, a good cell. This thing, I don't know what it is. Let me just eat it. But that alone sometimes doesn't work. Sometimes it needs an active immune system. And uh, that only happens when you're infected with something that is kind of taking over your body. Um, like when you when you feel symptoms from being sick, that's your active immune system kicking in. And you need that. That's why like people feel worse from the second COVID vaccine dose because that's essentially your active immune system activating after being exposed to the protein signatures that it was exposed to the first time around from your first shot. And so now it's kind of getting your body act- activating its active immune system and giving it time to acquire this protein, treat it with respect, learn about it, and then that's what gives you this immunity for however long it's going to be, to uh, COVID-19. But uh, 
Johnson and Johnson does, and and AstraZeneca from the UK, they do it a little bit differently. Like I said, they don't do mRNA. The idea is very, very much the same between the two different vaccines, between the the modified viral uh, delivery and the uh, mRNA vaccine. Essentially, they're just going in and embedding some of this information that uh, essentially tricks your cells into creating just the protein spikes, and then your body's immune system learns these protein spikes. And then when it's exposed to the actual coronavirus, it knows that this is a threat because it knows the protein spikes on the outside of the COVID of COVID nineteen, and then your immune system will treat it just the same as it would with the protein spikes by themselves. And so that's how you're getting this level of immunity without having to infect yourself with a weakened version of COVID, which is still pretty risky. Um. So these vaccines are, are, are technically safe, but there are some side effects to them, right? And everyone is different. Everyone's immune system is very different and, and their bodies in general are just very different, right? You have your race, your sex, your age, your, you know, environmental factors like uh, do you smoke? Are you exposed to a lot of different things? All of these things make you, when we talk about like, uh, and by we, I'm somehow putting myself in the same category as people that have been studying this and have PhDs and everything of that nature. But when I say we, I, I mean them. What they are are saying is that essentially um, there is some level of risk factor out there for any, any vaccine. I mean, any medicine, essentially you can give anyone, any kind of medicine, any kind of virus or a vaccine, there could be some side effects because everyone has a unique structure to their bodies. It's more unique than like you trying to claim that you psychologically are, are more unique as a person than another person. That's actually, you have more in common with people in that case than you do with your epigenetics and like your, like your microbiome and all of those things that is really, truly unique to just yourself. But uh, because of that, it's very hard to kind of determine the level of risk that could uh, occur with giving out a new medicine or a new vaccine. You can only give it to so many, so many people in a population group that hopefully can target everyone, but it's hard to do that essentially. And right now where there's some weird instances and predominantly with women with blood clotting and, um, it's happening to a very small group of people. And when I say very small, I'm talking about like one in a million. Literally, it's it's that much of a ratio. It's one in a million for Johnson & Johnson and for AstraZeneca. It's something like a one in 150,000, I think, of a chance that you're going to possibly develop blood clots. And it's definitely a higher risk for women. Why that is, they're not entirely sure just yet, though some scientists are already claiming that they're getting very close to having a basic understanding of why it occurs, and they're actually coming up with a name specifically for this um, this syndrome or whatever it is, and it's got a very long name to it, and I'm not even going to try to pretend like I know it without having to look it up, but uh, they're still finalizing their research, and everything, of course, is still preliminary but it's insane that our, our scientific community can just move so quickly with the limited information that they have. But um, 
Yeah. And then because of that, a lot of countries and a lot of states here in the U.S. are halting vaccinating these individuals with these vaccines because of the potential risk of blood clots. And it's it's definitely something to take into consideration and having a better understanding of why that might occur, I think is very important because it could tell us a little bit more about maybe if that specific technology that AstraZeneca and Johnson and Johnson use the modified viral delivery or whatever it's called. Um, if that itself is a, um, a route that they want to take in the future and put more resources into that or just go with mRNA. Like what is the essential relative risk of that level of, of vaccine technology? But I have to say with everyone freaking out about like this vaccine, when we're talking about one in a million and one in 150,000, the odds of you getting that are so low. You're more likely to be attacked by a shark get struck by lightning. It really is um, an unfortunate thing that's happened to people. And like I said, you know, something that needs to be researched, but you're more likely to die from COVID because you aren't, don't have access to the other vaccines, the MRNA vaccines like Pfizer and Moderna. Uh, You're more likely to die from COVID than you are from the Johnson and Johnson or AstraZeneca vaccines. And so I think this, Again, it's because most people don't understand anything about this technology. And I think it really is up to those that are in charge, the scientific community and government, really to do a better job of educating individuals. Uh, I've just been exposed to it because I've been reading a lot of research papers, like old ones. Like today, I was reading one that was like super long that I linked to my wife and my mom. Essentially, uh, it was a paper that came out in 2018, January 2018, a whole year, no, sorry, a whole two years before the pandemic hit. And it was a paper on mRNA and how it's revolutionary. And if it does have the potential, like if it ever does roll out, how much of a potential it can have on on really fixing any future problems that might arise with possible pandemics or even cancers themselves. And now we've gotten a full test run of this with the pandemic. And it's very exciting to see where this technology is going to go from here. Like now we know it works. Um, what else could we potentially use this technology for? Like, Because what makes this different than traditional vaccines is other vaccines take years to develop. Because you, there's a lot of old-fashioned research that needs to be done on like how to weaken a virus, how much of a virus do you have to have to give to a specific group of people, but like a general population where like it works for a majority of people and all of this stuff is like, it has to be thoroughly researched because you're putting viral loads into people weakened, of course, but still has some relative risk. And, um, essentially, uh, you know, that's the old way of doing it. It takes years to develop these levels of vaccines. But with mRNA, you can come up with a vaccine pretty quickly when exposed to a pathogen and actually understanding its genetic information, which for most people, they could do that pretty quickly. Like understanding the genetic bio or the genetic information of a virus really isn't that difficult. It's more difficult to try to come up with a way to train your immune system to target this disease. 
Um, and so this technology is super exciting. Like if there was ever some kind of pathogen in the future that's potentially causing mayhem for us, we could use this to kind of nip it in the butt very quickly before it becomes pandemic level. So we would just have to force quarantine specific regions, make sure no one is able to exit or travel from these areas, and then essentially uh, do it long enough that we could quickly develop a vaccine. Uh, and and that is a reality now because of mRNA. Um, I also see at the moment that people are freaking out because recently, yesterday, the CEO of Pfizer came out um, and publicly stated that it looks like more than likely people are going to potentially need a third dose. And after that third dose, depending on what the environment looks like with COVID, they might need a a yearly booster to protect themselves from the, the variant of that year. And people are freaking out about that. And I'm like, why are you freaking out about that? Like the only reason this even became a thing and the vaccine itself wasn't enough is because so many people allowed themselves to get infected that they gave this virus the opportunity to, to modify itself and to evolve into the different variants that we see out there now that would not occur if that virus didn't have the potential to infect other people. Like if you just did everything you needed to do, wear a mask, socially distant. And if you were sick to stay indoors, you essentially would have done your part in helping making sure that this variant didn't happen. But you know, you can't, it's hard for government and and scientists to tell people it's your fault why we have to do this, but they have to do that. And on one end, like there was a cynic part of me that was like, Oh my God, maybe these pharmaceutical companies probably just want to make sure they make extra money and what better way to make extra money than having to tell people that they have to get yearly boosters. But luckily, there's still independent researchers that are, are researching people that have been vaccinated to see how long these vaccines will last for. And so the, our government's already ramping up to prepare for the need for uh, a third dose and potentially yearly dosages. I'm hoping that as the research comes out about the the original people that originally got tested with these different mRNA vaccines, that it will show months later, after these six months, that they still have some relative immunity and that it even still works against the variants. Um, but the reason for why they were talking about boosters is just because of variants. Like COVID does more if it does change. And we're not entirely sure yet if the... I have to stop saying we, they are, they, the experts are not entirely sure whether uh, like a hundred percent, if the vaccine dosages that you're getting are going to help protect with, they say that it does help protect with the current variants, but they're not entirely sure if it's going to work with every future variant. And so it'll be very interesting to see how that works out. But I, I just, I find it so like, there's so many people out there that are just like, and I feel like definitely anti-vaxxers have always been on this train that they're not going to get the vaccine, right? So, you know, I had I pretty much minimized those people in my life. But I did know people that were kind of on the fence about specific things related to vaccines, like the amount of vaccines that you give to a kid or to yourself. Um, and is there like what potential risk could exist with the vaccine? And those people are now starting to sway themselves towards the anti-vaxxer perspective and it's it's sad because it's it's due to them not understanding 
how the technology works and how beneficial it has been so far and, and minimizing more people from dying from this disease. So I think it's really on, on government and the scientific community to really do a better job of educating people and, you know, that, I mean, like the people I watch on YouTube, the like the people that focus in, in science and things of that nature, they've been doing a good job about talking about this and helping to kind of making it simpler for people to digest. But I think there needs to be more, like more media and more organizations that do a better job of just kind of helping people better understand it. But I'll leave it at that. That's my two cents. If you're on the fence about getting the vaccine, look, I got the second dose of the Pfizer vaccine. I felt like shit, but I feel fine now. My my wife and my brother both felt like shit after the second dose. They didn't feel really much from the first. And now they're doing a lot better. And so that's after two days. After two days, you're good to go. And at least you have a peace of mind in knowing that for the next six months at least, you have some level of immunity to COVID. And to me, that is a huge blessing and a big peace of mind um, because now I get to enjoy the rest of the spring, the summer, and, and into fall. And then at that point, you know, we'll know a little bit more of whether I have to get a booster. And if I do, who cares? It'll be like getting the second dose again. I'll feel crummy for two days and be good to go after that. But either way, Thank you guys so much for listening to today's podcast and I will catch you guys all manana. Peace.